welcome to Diversity in the D. Happy Sunday to everybody. Uh, and today, uh, I think I'm just going to start off with a couple of local cases that I found that I thought were interesting and then go from there. So I found this case and it, it just happened. It was in a Thursday, March 23rd paper, but it caught my eye. It says the deputies responded to an 8-year-old girl's 911 call Wednesday morning, raced into a condo upon hearing gunfire and fatally shot a gunman while he was assaulting his wife. Moments after he had reportedly killed his father-in-law and wounded his mother-in-law. The girl had placed a very disjointed 911 call at 8.33 a.m. to report shots fired in a unit in a Glens of Highlands condominium on Delmore Court near the Presswick Village Golf Club. The couple's children, ages 4 and 1, were inside their maternal grandparents' condo during the shooting, along with an 8-year-old cousin. The girl who placed the 911 call, the sheriff says, The suspect was a 42-year-old man from Dearborn Heights. His wife is 37, his father-in-law was 69, and his mother-in-law was 70. The suspect's wife and mother-in-law were being treated in an area hospital for wounds that are not believed to be life-threatening. The suspect's wife had sought a divorce following multiple runs to the couple's Dearborn Heights home involving family troubles. About two weeks ago, the woman reported that her handgun was stolen, which was one of the pistols the suspect brought to the scene. When the injured individual first arrived, it's clear he came there with murderous intent. He parked on a different street, came through backyards, and he had purchased gloves. The man broke into his in-law's condo by smashing a plate glass window with a crowbar. Right by the plate glass window he smashed, the mother-in-law and father-in-law and the one-year-old baby in the arms of the mother were on the couch in that room, ten feet from the window. Panic ensued. The suspect's father-in-law dashed towards his bedroom. It appears he was headed to get a weapon to defend himself and his family. The perpetrator, perpetrator pursued him into the bedroom and shot him dead. The mother-in-law of the perpetrator was also shot in the bedroom. The man's wife went upstairs and to her credit she struggled with him. A tussle ensued and during the tussle a round was discharged and she was shot. A second round may have also been fired while the couple struggled. Deputies had just arrived at the condo and were escorting the children outside when they heard the gunfire. When deputies heard the gunshots, they started up the stairs. He said the suspect was at that moment on top of his wife striking her. The man left the upstairs bedroom and stood on a stairwell balcony where the deputies ordered him to drop his gun. He, he refused their orders and was engaged. One deputy fired four shots and the other two shots. Where those went and how many times the suspect was shot is a work in progress. The suspect had a criminal convictions from 1999, including felonious assault and drug convictions. He was a felon and not allowed to own or carry a firearm, but none of that mattered to him, given his murderous intent. The sheriff praised his deputies' work. They heard the gunshots, they heard the screams, and they immediately went in. They did an amazing job. So, what do you think? sound weird. I mean, it's 
it's hard to say what's going on when it's not saying the attentions of it so well, it said that his wife was going to leave him so he broke in and was trying to with the weapon so he went there to cause murderous intent type of stuff I don't know what to really even be to really even think nor say like if people be doing things like that they need to go to the authorities and make sure that people like that is completely far away and you know maybe when it gets more into it then you know if, if he had prior situations going on then Definitely, you have to seek attention, you know, to make sure that he don't come back because obviously that's the person he is. Well, thank God that eight-year-old cousin was in the house and called the cops. Yeah, that's the sick, though, right? Mm -hmm. Next we have Detroit rapper faces five more years in prison after plea. The troubled Detroit rapper 42 Doug faces up to five more years in federal prison a $250,000 fine after pleading guilty and admitting he failed to report to a federal prison camp in West Virginia to serve a six-month sentence for illegally possessing a firearm. Under terms of a plea agreement filed last month in federal court in Atlanta, prosecutors will agree to rec recommend Dion Hayes, 28, be sentenced to six months in prison. As part of the sentence, Hayes has agreed to attend a 30-day inpatient drug treatment program after leaving prison in a 30-day outpatient drug treatment program. Sentencing is set for May 10th. The conviction is the latest legal development for a Detroit rapper whose career has skyrocketed in the last three years despite a series of arrests. Criminal charges in a week-long multi-state manhunt that involved a secret spy gadget, drugs, and piles of cash. The rapper, the rapper whose real name is Dion Hayes, has been in Atlanta prison for almost one year since being arrested. After flying to Willow Run Airport aboard a private jet from Memphis where he attended a National Basketball Association playoff game between the Memphis Grizzlies and Golden State Warriors. Hayes' criminal history started in 2010 when he was convicted of carjacking and felony firearms possession. He was released from prison six years ago and started building a lucrative and successful rap career. Hayes, a protege of the rapper Yao Gotti, collaborated on the little baby tracks We Paid and Grace. His mixtape Freedom Boys debuted it in May 2021 at number 8 on the Billboard 200, selling 32,000 units. In the last year, he released the mixtape Last Ones Left. The roots of Hayes' current legal problems stretch back to November 2019 when Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms, and Explosive Agents got a tip that he had fired a weapon inside Studer's Range and Guns in Atlanta. Investigators reviewed video surveillance and documents from the gun range and learned Hayes and two others visited the range November 8th of that year. The surveillance video showed Hayes possessing, loading, and firing a 9mm Glock pistol, according to a criminal complaint. He was arrested in March 2020 and charged with felony firearm possession. While free on bond in the Georgia gun case, 
Hayes settled in suburban Atlanta and bought a 1.4 million 6,500 square foot home, according to public records. He was sentenced in November 2021 to three years of probation in order to pay a $90,000 fine for illegal, illegally possessing a firearm. But after reportedly testing positive for opiates and getting arrested in Las Vegas for obstructing law enforcement, the judge sentenced Hayes to six months in a federal prison camp. Hayes failed to report to the camp in Welch, West Virginia in April of 2022. Hayes appealed and mistakenly believed he would not have to report to prison. Hayes managed to elude deputy U.S. Marshals and ATF agents despite maintaining a constant presence for his 2.1 million followers on Instagram and more than 335,000 on Twitter. Federal agents obtained approval from a judge to locate Hayes' cell phone in late April 2022. They learned he was in Memphis and tracked him his return to Willow Run Airport west of Detroit. When he was arrested, he had $25,000 in cash and more than $100,000 in jewelry. Federal prison records show Hayes is incarcerated at the U.S. Penitentiary Atlanta, a low-security lockup. So, what do you think about 42 Doug? I just wish the, I just wish the brother get everything situated and focus on music, man. It's not worth it. It's a lot of things that, you know, they've been going through over the years with all of the all the inner city beef with other rivals and things like that it's time to just you know get your life straight focus on music you know and that's what we say when you know obviously god's blessed them to become successful in this career why throw it away with violence and drugs or whatever like look forward to your future and count your blessings And now we got to follow up on the Wayne County State Juvenile Jail that we mentioned in, I think it was Season 1, Episode 9. And this one says, the county officials promised to offer mental health services. Wayne County officials says Wednesday that they will provide mental health services to teen offenders who have been languishedly in an, in an overcrowded juvenile detention facility typically for more than 120 days amid a lack of residential treatment facilities elsewhere in the state. The additional services will be the latest effort to address a problem that has pitted the county against the state over what or who is to blame for the overcrowding crisis in the county's juvenile detention facility. We are going to step up and do the work that we understand to be our responsibility and step up to do the work we also understand to be the state's responsibility said Abdul El Said, the new director of Wayne County's Health, Human, and Veterans Services Department. These kids need to know they're not going to have yet another hopeless conversation with their lawyer about when a bed will be available. The State Senate Committee hearing on Wayne County's troubled juvenile jail follows allegations of sexual assault of a child last week in the Hamtramck facility. At the hearing, Wayne County and state officials gave varying accounts of what had caused an overcrowding crisis in the county's juvenile detention facility. 
The juvenile facility, which was built to house about 80 juvenile offenders, has been at double capacity for months, at times holding up to 150 teenagers. Nearly half of those children have already been educated and a judge has deemed them to be in need of treatment at a residential center, according to the county. El Saeed expressed frustration at the Senate committee, hearing with what he believes is a lack of action by the state to accept responsibility for the 60, 65 juveniles left to languish until beds are available for them. As a result, the county will provide mental health services to the teen offenders until they can be transferred to a residential behavior health facility. Wayne County officials heavily placed the overcrowding blame on the state welfare department during Wednesday's committee hearing. While State Health and Human Services Director Elizabeth Hertel spoke mainly about how residential treatment centers in the juvenile justice system work, she did not respond to the Wayne County officials' claims that the state caused the issue, but did say each county maintains responsibility for the youth in their county. Hertel said a shortage of staff at residential facilities in the state and available beds are contributing to the problem. Placements are the number one thing that keeps me up at night. Not just juvenile justice, but abuse and neglect, also in behavioral health, Hertel said. We're actively and aggressively working with providers across the state to identify how quickly they can bring on additional capacity. Wayne County Executive Warren Evans announced a public health emergency order it had been issued for the detention center Tuesday night at his state of the county address while calling the situation unattainable. He also called on the state to provide more long-term residential beds. Evans said the public health state emergency will allow the county to expedite actions to adequ adequately staff and provide therapeutic services in the juvenile detention facility. I'm relieved to see the county executive taking responsibility for this, said Hertel of the jail conditions. Assad Turf, Deputy Wayne County Executive, told the committee that the average stay at the county's juvenile detention center, which was designed as a short-term holding facility, has increased from 21 days before the COVID-19 pandemic to 127 days. In several instances, children stayed at detention, the detention facility for upward of 800 days. Once juveniles are sentenced, they are supposed to leave the juvenile detention facility to go to a residential treatment center, but this isn't happening. These residential facilities are licensed, overseen, and regulated by the state. Hertel said the state is aggressively working to find contractors, contractors who can implement plans to increase numbers of beds within one to three months. The state identified an addition, additional 40 beds at one facility and Hertel said she hopes those will be available by the end of May. State officials also are working with about 15 other contractors and providers to see what can materialize within 30 to 90 days, she said. Hertel said when the state began cracking down on facilities in recent years, some voluntarily closed and others were unable to make the necessary changes to reduce or stop using seclusion and restraint on juveniles. State officials are working to shift the way facilities are paid to paying for a certain number of beds instead of paying for how many children are filling the beds. That, the way the, that way the availability is there if a child needs it, Hertel said. 
The Department of Health and Human Services contracts with eight facilities and operates to itself. Secure facilities are for juveniles who pose a greater danger to the community. The state has 163 contracted beds, 126 which are non-secure, and the state facilities have 72 beds. However, due to staffing shortages and other issues, only 56 contracted beds and 59 state beds were filled as of March 10th, Hertel said. Most of Wayne County's JDF population requires secure placement, Elsie said. When you have a residential placement, if you got a kid who is 17 or 18 and in for the capital offense, is that kid more likely to get a pla- placement or a 13-year-old who is in for petty larceny, Elsie said. Oftentimes we have a situation where our kids are last up. Turf said the county has done everything it can to reduce the population in juvenile jail. The 140 kids who are left at of Wednesday cannot be released, he said. Some are in both foster care and in juvenile justice systems and have nowhere to go if they were to be released. Others, about 75%, are too dangerous to release without receiving treatment, he said. If the state could take the 65 kids who have been educated out of the juvenile detention facility, Turf said, Wayne County would regain control of the facility and improve the, improve, improve the environment that would leave county officials with about 75 kids, which was their average before the detained population essentially doubled. The, kitchen, the, the, the conditions at the JDF have been deteriorating for months, but the situation worsened after a child was allegedly sexually assaulted at the facility last week. Seven staff members were suspended after alleged assault. The county will be seeking termination for all of them, Turf said. The county on Friday fired Mark Rowland, a deputy director at the juvenile detention facility, and reassigned facility, facility director Brandon Barber to another position. The state welfare department immediately intervened at the alleged assault in the operations of the facility and has been on the ground observing and helping out, Hertel said. The state also provided a corrective action plan to Wayne County, which includes orders to begin daily programming and provide children with appropriate hygiene items, daily and clean cloths, lending, and towels weekly. A training plan will be developed for all staffers, and the JDF administrator must submit documentation of when they were on site at the facility and a punch list of required daily checks, state officials said. Plan noted issues with discipline and facility maintenance. Hertel told the Detroit News Wednesday that the staffers have reported some kids have told them they haven't had access to showers in months. It did not have hygiene products or clean underwear. Hertel also said the charter school and county contracted with cannot operate in the center, so there is no access to education for the kids detained there. We are seeing some serious concerns in the facility, Hertel said. The things the staff are observing are really concerning. Juveniles get a chance to shower and change their uniforms every other day, Tur said. This is because they have to be taken in small groups of five because of a need to keep gang activity and co-defendants separated, he said. Elsayed said safety is the county's top priority. The staff to juvenile ratio is ideally one employee for every 10 teenagers, Tur said, but is now hovering around 20 teens for every employee. 
County has worked with private contractors to add staff to the detention facility, he said. Hertel noted that Wayne County was granted a variance in staffing ratios to be 1 to 10 during the day and 1 to 20 at night, which is slightly higher than is usually allowed. She did not answer a question asked by State Senator Sylvia Santana. Detroit about why the state allowed ratios to go as high. Staffing shortages have been a consistent issue, Al Syed said. Al Syed, a 2018 Democrat gubernatorial candidate who took over Wayne County's Health and Human Services on March 1st, said the county will be raising wages for all non-appointed officials who will be working to contract out some services. And that's the update on the juvenile detention centers. Which they need to do something about these little crotch goblins. I mean, there's a lot of little juveniles that are in trouble. and should be a lot more. It's just people just don't, don't lock their asses up. Yeah, true. But right now, it just seems like they don't have nowhere to lock the damn thing. I mean, well, if everybody's... What if they stop... Sexually arrest, sexually assaulting the damn kids, then they would have staff. <laughs> it's, it's pitiful. I mean, I feel bad for the way these kids are treated, but <laughs> and how they're not getting showers daily and everything else. But it's like they put themselves in that situation. But everybody should still have the right to be treated treated like a human. I mean, their kids, they was misguided. They was misguided by somebody, right? It all starts with the parents. Well, that's our episode for today. We will see you on Tuesday. We're going to be doing an episode on proof and some other things. And I hope you guys have a nice Sunday. We will see you later. Bye.